This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is not your century. This is not your century, where we celebrate the news and the news media of centuries gone by. I'm King Kaufman. Every time I see a new spot, I think I'm a step closer to death, said Jerry, a former waiter. I don't even look in the mirror anymore. May 13th, 1982. Disease is hitting primarily gay men with increasing frequency across the country. The strange, deadly diseases that strike gay men reach the, the headline. Of GRID for gay-related immunodeficiency diseases. It wasn't called AIDS yet, but this was the dawn of AIDS coverage in mainstream media. Since the first outbreak of Legionnaire's disease in 1976. Randy Schiltz, San Francisco Chronicle. This wasn't the first mention of this new gay plague in the Chronicle. That had come the previous year in a short item written by science writer David Perlman. But it was the first headline story about it. And it was the first coverage by Randy Schiltz, who had been hired by the Chronicle in 1981 in part to cover the gay community. It was a new beat. And Schiltz was a new kind of reporter, openly gay at a major metropolitan daily. He hadn't gotten a warm welcome. Susan Sward was a fellow reporter on the Metro desk. Generally speaking, reporters tend to uh, look on people that are advocates as questionable. And Randy never hit his advocacy. And in that newsroom, you were looking at a place that where no one was openly gay Randy showed up with this big mop of curly hair with brightly floral ties. Schultz was an advocate, not for any political position, but for acceptance of gay people. He had first pursued that through politics when he was a college student in Oregon. If you read what he wrote at the time, he became frustrated by the ability of politics to kind of change things. Andrew Stoner is the author of a new biography of Schultz, The Journalist of Castro Street. He's often talking about that in his diary and other places about if people just understood gay people a little bit more, that they'd be more accepting, that if the problem was that they had misinformation or no information. He faced an uphill climb. The mainstream media, even the newspaper that had hired Schiltz, wasn't interested in going too deep with coverage of homosexuality in America. That first story about the strange diseases striking gay men? The death toll in the Bay Area was 19. Dozens more were ill. So far, they have seen only the tip of the iceberg. Doctors were terrified. ...with which diseases are being reported. The story was on page six. Not page one. Page six. Alan Mutter would become Schultz's editor in 1984, but in 82, he was working at the Chicago Sun-Times. That's when he first heard about GRID, as AIDS was still called. He says a reporter told him about it, and he had her write a big piece. And we turned it into the news desk, and the people who laid out the newspaper chopped it down about six paragraphs and buried it back in the, as far back in the paper as you could bury it back then. That was the customary approach in lots of newspapers around the country. In fact, it probably was a predominant approach. Randy Schiltz changed that approach. Fellow reporter Susan Sward. I saw that Randy 
took a story that began on page six and forced it by his own strength of will onto the front pages of the Chronicle consistently. This paper was not on the cutting edge in terms of seeing this initially as a as an institution, as a paper, as something that we needed to chase. It really and truly was Randy pushing. Starting on May 13th, 1982, and for the next dozen years, Randy Schultz would become the leading reporter on the AIDS pandemic. He would fight for more coverage, more openness, more of an urgent response to this devastating disease. He would write the first major book about AIDS, and the band played on. He would become both revered and hated in the gay community. And in 1994, like more than a quarter of a million people before him, he would die of AIDS. Randy Schultz was born in Davenport, Iowa in 1951 and raised in Aurora, Illinois, in greater Chicago. He went west ostensibly for college, but in his diary he wrote about going because he'd heard about communes, especially bisexual communes. He was smart, but at first not a serious student at Portland Community College and the University of Oregon. He found his calling when he left political organizing and discovered journalism. He was a dogged, talented reporter. And he was also out and open about his sexuality. And he wrote and talked about the issues in gay life, including sexual issues, like the bathhouse culture. He wanted to be in mainstream journalism, but there were no job offers for an out reporter. So he came to San Francisco in the mid-1970s to work for The Advocate, a gay news magazine, and then for the PBS TV station KQED, where he reported for the show NewsHour. The gay drive for acceptance has produced no single issue as volatile and emotion-packed as that of how homosexuality should be dealt with in public schools. In 1981, the Chronicle hired him to cover the community that he was very much a part of. He'd lived the hedonistic lifestyle, struggled with alcoholism, worked in a bathhouse. He was writing The Mayor of Castro Street, a biography of Harvey Milk that would be published in 1982. He wasn't the first to write about this new disease. That was David Perlman, the science writer, who wrote for the Chronicle for more than 70 years. Perlman is retired now, but going strong at 100 years old. In January, he told the Chronicle podcast The Big Event about the beginning of that coverage. In mid-1981, he saw a report about five gay men in Los Angeles who'd all died of a little-known type of pneumonia called pneumocystis. The San Francisco Health Department told him they'd had a similar cluster of cases. And uh, I wrote a brief article on it. But then a young reporter on the Chronicle and I began covering what began the AIDS epidemic. And that young reporter was Randy Schultz, a wonderful, excellent reporter, terrific guy. And he and I covered aspects of the AIDS epidemic, and I was covering the medical and scientific aspects of it. Randy was looking at the policy implications, and the two of us worked together for many, many, many years. As the AIDS crisis widened, bathhouses emerged as a battleground. They were sexual playgrounds for gay men, and the unprotected sex that went on there was a breeding ground for the virus that causes AIDS. Those who were trying to fight the disease argued for the bathhouses to be shut down, but there was fierce resistance. It wasn't yet established science that AIDS was transmitted sexually. It had only been nine years since the American Psychiatric Association 
had stopped considering homosexuality a disease. Now, the same medical community that had attacked gay people for centuries was telling them to stop having sex. Alan Mutter, Schultz's editor at The Chronicle. They felt that the movement to close the bathhouses because of this so-called AIDS threat was really an effort to close down bathhouses to, to stifle uh, the gay community and to, and to turn, turn back the tide of, of freedom and liberation and full enfranchisement. Biographer Andrew Stoner. You were talking about a generation of people who, whose sexual expression would cause them to be arrested or, or imprisoned or even killed or, or fired or you know, basically destroyed. When you have people finally being able to express themselves sexually, I think you, you can begin to understand why there's a reluctance to, for anybody to put the brakes on that. Schultz had covered the spread of hepatitis and other sexually transmitted diseases for The Advocate and KQED in the 70s. He argued for the bathhouses to shut down. He was threatened. His life was threatened. Chronicle editor Alan Mutter. People spit on him. Uh, he was he was in some physical danger and certainly at the point of being ostracized by many, many people who he had counted as friends. In the end, strict new rules imposed by the city spelled doom for the bathhouses. Mutter says Schultz's coverage, which he calls appropriately aggressive, helped provide cover for Mayor Dianne Feinstein and other city officials. But there were those who never forgave Schultz. Still, if some in the gay community were angry at him, he was angry at almost everyone. People died when Reagan administration officials ignored pleas from government scientists. And in the prologue to And the Band Played On, he gave a litany of institutions that failed to respond as the death toll mounted. People died while scientists did not. 5,600 in 1984, 12,000 in 1985, 24,000 in 1986. People died while health authorities... In the heart of the pandemic, President Ronald Reagan famously refused to even say the word AIDS for years at a time as his administration cut funding for research and medical and people care. people died while gay community... Leaders. The media only began to treat AIDS as something other than a disease that happened to those other people when movie star Rock Hudson died of it in 1985. The gay community, Schultz wrote, Treated AIDS as a public relations Stories problem. that involve gay sexuality. Dana Van Gorder is a longtime AIDS policy advocate. In the mid-80s, he was an aide to Harry Britt, who had replaced Harvey Milk on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. We didn't use Randy because, you know, Randy was, Randy was pissed off and he wanted something to happen and he was going to make it happen. But there was definitely a symbiotic relationship between those of us who were in government trying to make something happen uh, and and Randy saying, uh, you know, I will I will help you to uh, to stimulate the response that is is needed. Schultz subscribed to a classic model of journalism. He saw himself as beholden to the truth, not any particular policy. But through journalism, he did advocate first for acceptance for gay people, and now for a swifter and more forceful response to AIDS. In The Mayor of Castro Street, he wrote, History is not served when reporters prize trepidation and propriety over the robust journalistic duty to tell the whole story. The skills he brought to that journalistic duty, developed at the University of Oregon, The Advocate, KQED, and The Chronicle, they were formidable. His editor, Alan Mutter. Everybody wants to talk about Randy and his courageous and important coverage of, of AIDS. But Randy was a fully realized, could-do-anything reporter. He could write, he could investigate, he could interview. Policy advocate Dana Van Gorder. Randy was 
extremely smart, kind of scary smart, very intense, uh, almost all the time. Uh, certainly had you know a good sense of humor, but he was on a mission during those years and was very serious about what he was doing. What he was knowledgeable with, he was completely correct. That's Dr. Jay Levy. He's a professor of medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. He was a key early researcher of the AIDS virus. Sometimes he exaggerated to get more of the audience. We know that. What Levy's talking about is patient zero, an important figure in And the Band Played On, the starting point for the epidemic, the man who brought the disease to the United States. Though doctors and researchers refused to give Schultz his name, he worked his sources and he found it. Gaetan Dugas. He was a French-Canadian flight attendant. He was strikingly handsome. He was a world traveler because of his job. He was sexually active, boasting of more than 250 partners a year. In the book, Schiltz portrays him as having a cruel reaction to the news that he had AIDS, purposely infecting others, or at best, acting recklessly. Jay Levy. He was actually a patient of ours also. And he was a strange person, so Randy captured that. What he wasn't was patient zero. Schiltz got it wrong. Later research proved that Dugas was not the launching point for the virus in the United States. Schiltz had misinterpreted a study, thinking it was a search for the origin of the virus, when in fact it was an attempt to better understand how the disease was transmitted. Also, far from being a typhoid Mary, purposely infecting others, Gaetan Dugas was a huge help to researchers. He had a detailed address book that he shared with them, and because of his charisma and his exotic name, casual sex partners tended to remember him. That helped researchers make an unusually large number of connections between Dugas and others who got sick. For a layperson, that may have created the impression that the flight attendant was a hub for the disease, when in fact he was just someone about whom there was a lot of information. On top of that, Schiltz made a simple misreading. He thought researchers were referring to Dugas as patient zero. They were referring to him as patient O, the letter O. Biographer Andrew Stoner. Yeah, this remains the most uh, controversial aspect of Schultz's work. It's, it, and any review now would reveal that he got it wrong. This patient zero actually was a patient O for outside Los Angeles. Schultz's editor at St. Martin's Press was named Michael Denany. When And the Band Played On was mostly ignored by the mainstream media, he played up the idea of the villain, Patient Zero, to the tabloid New York Post. The Post ran with it, running a front-page headline, The Man Who Brought AIDS to America. It worked. Other media picked up on the story. According to Stoner's biography, Denony says Schultz objected to the sensationalist sales job. It ignored his points about government, the media, and the gay community's failure to respond to AIDS. But, Denony says, he relented. It was a decision he'd be vilified for, naming and making a scapegoat out of a man who died three years before the book's publication. Schultz got this wrong. Biographer Andrew Stoner. I think there's a lot of hurt feelings around the publicity of Patient Zero in order to sell the Schultz book that some of the people working with Randy uh, undertook and that as a result, he, Randy Schultz dies in 1994 and doesn't get a chance to revisit this issue. And I'm certain he would. He would want it right, and he would want it to be set. He would want to resolve the issue and maybe even um, apologize for the error, which as a result, you know, you have people who hold Randy in high esteem, and you have other people who 
really just don't care for him at all. Researcher Jay Levy. When he made it patient zero, it was to put a drama in it, but you knew there was some poetic license, but it led to everyone wanting to know who the patient zero was. Everyone wanted to debunk it if they could, and, and it made for a very uh, interesting and sought-after book. And the band played on became a bestseller. It was made into a movie by HBO in 1993, the same year that Schultz's third and last book came out, Conduct Unbecoming, Gays and Lesbians in the U.S. Military. By that time, Schultz was dying of AIDS. He said he received that diagnosis the day he turned in the manuscript for And the Band Played On in 1987. He died on February 17, 1994, at the age of 42. He left behind a complicated legacy. Policy advocate Dana Van Gorder. You know, there were some really towering figures in the early response to the epidemic and, and throughout the epidemic, obviously. Um, but as I, you know, talk about Randy, I, I do, you know, ha- I, I do remember how, you know, how brilliant he was, how committed he was, uh, and powerful and effective. And he was, you know, truly a, a remarkable guy. He may have been controversial, uh, but the role that he played in the response to the epidemic was towering. And I remember him with, you know, great fondness and respect. Dr. Jay Levy. Randy took the lead in placing attention on this terrible disease hitting San Francisco and other places in the United States. We didn't know about Africa in the very, very beginning. And the book he wrote put a terrific attention on the whole history. Schultz ended the acknowledgments for And the Band Played On by writing that he would always have a special reverence for people with AIDS who gave some of their last hours for interviews, sometimes as they lay on their deathbeds. When I'd ask why they'd take the time for this, most hoped that something they said would save someone else from suffering. If there's an act that better defines heroism, I have not seen it. Andrew E. Stoner's biography of Randy Schultz is called The Journalist of Castro Street, The Life of Randy Schultz. It's available for pre-order now, and it'll be released on May 30th. The voice of Randy Schultz was provided by Dave Curtis. Thanks to Aaron Alday, Kevin Fagan, Tony Bravo, and Peter Hartlob for their help on this episode. You can hear the full interview with David Perlman on The Big Event, available wherever you get your podcasts. The episode is dated January 16th, 2019. For more on Gaetan Dugas, see the book Patient Zero and the Making of the AIDS Epidemic by Richard A. McKay and the documentary film Killing Patient Zero. Not Your Century is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this show, we'd love it if you'd give it a rating and a review. For great journalism today, consider subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle, which you can do in both paper and digital form by going to sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Historical research by Libby Coleman. 
I'm King Kaufman. Talk to me on Twitter at King underscore Kaufman. We now return you to your century.